0: We're eventually going to get to Luke 15 if you want to begin finding that in your Bible. Eventually Luke 15. The place a story is told impacts the meaning of a story. You know that that's true. Think of the times you've said something like, driving through here reminds me of the time that Places have a way of evoking memories and situations. And sometimes place isn't a geographical place, but sometimes place is an event or an anniversary or a set of circumstances. In other words, there's there's something about what we're experiencing right now that reminds me of something I learned or experienced previously. Today is September 11th. Brings up a range of emotions and many memories and something about that particular place reminds me of the stories in the gospel today. And maybe it was the fear of 9-11 and all the different fears of that day that trigger the memory. In this story, Jesus finds himself in a place that is surrounded by sinners. They are seeking him out based on what they've heard. Fred Craddock makes the case that this is not likely to mean that Jesus was holding services somewhere in town and they came to one of his outdoor services. But it is likely to mean that he's eating lunch somewhere and that they came to hang out with him to hear what he had to say, and that he welcomed them to his table wherever he was. And not everyone is glad to see Jesus hanging out with the particular folks who are surrounding him. There are some folks watching the scene and objecting to what they see. And as we hear the story, as I've been reading this story this week, I'm, I'm trying to place myself in the story. I'm trying to find out what do I identi- who do I identify with? Where am I in this story? How do I interact with the players in this story? Am I most likely to be one of the people who is looking for Jesus, to hear what he has to say, knowing full well that all the good people outside watching on think I'm despicable and miserable or am I most likely one of the Jews who's wondering probably out loud why Jesus is carrying on with the criminal element in town I mean doesn't Jesus know that bad company corrupts character or Am I one of the disciples sitting near Jesus, wondering what Jesus is doing, but sort of glad he's doing it, but not quite sure? Or maybe I even see myself sitting with Jesus, accepting everyone and anyone around me just as Jesus did. Trying to find my place in the story makes me ask another question. When I look at a crowd like this, Jesus, skeptics, scoundrels, all a part of the same story, do I view everything through the eyes of my own modern opinions and attitudes, or do I look at this scene through the eyes of those who maybe for the first time are being accepted by Jesus, invited, to sit down at the table together. If I'm being candid, it is hard for me to look at anything from any other perspective than that of an old guy who's been a Christian for more than 50 years. And I, and I wonder what that perspective causes me to miss in a story like this. This story is in Luke 15 starting in the first verse. This is the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I invite you to stand for the reading. Luke 15, 1. Stand as you're able. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, meaning Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This isn't a new story, a new parable, to anyone who's been in the church for more than four or five years. In fact, this story, this particular set of parables is just the first two in a series of three. And this first one is the parable of the found sheep. That's the new title, by the way. It's the parable of the found sheep. Because I'm wondering why, along with some others, well, whenever we talk about these three parables, we always cast them in the worst possible light. We usually say the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the prodigal son. Yet the point of all three stories is the finding, not the losing. A sheep of great worth to the shepherd is found, celebrate, be happy. The mission to find the sheep has been successful, throw a party, break out the pinata. That's what this is. Let's take a closer look. Verse 3 specifically tells us that Jesus tells the story in response to the criticism of the Pharisees and scribes concerning Jesus's interaction with sinners and tax collectors. There's an old Near Eastern proverb that says, I saw them eating and I knew who they were. Think about that for a minute. I saw them eating and I knew who they were. It's a cultural thing, right? You see who they eat with, you know everything about their identity because, well, birds of the feather flock together, right? The people you eat with identify you. Now think about this. If you have any chance of understanding this parable at all, you are going to need to find a modern equivalent to the people Jesus is eating with. No one today is appalled that Jesus would eat with a tax collector. But the folks that Jesus is eating with in this story were appalling to the culture of this day. So to understand the offense that the Pharisees and scribes are taking, you have to place Jesus at an evening meal with people who are repulsive to you today. That's the only chance you have of understanding what's happening here. So who is it in modern terms, that Jesus is likely sharing table fellowship with. Can you identify the people you would be most shocked to see Nancy and me hanging out with? Who would those people be? What group would they be associated with? What would be the cause they were trying to promote? Are they of a different faith? Jehovah's Witnesses or worse? I mean, who are these people? Now, whatever crowd you decided was most reprehensible, place that name or category or or person into the parable and then see Jesus sitting down with that group. Jesus is saying in this teaching, in no unspoken terms, he has come to save the lost. And the people you have in mind right now, the modern people you have in mind right now, are the very ones that he came to save. And he is quite specific about the lengths he will go to see these people found and saved. He will risk fortune, he will risk reputation, he will risk life itself to see that these lost ones are saved. The parable's clear. He leaves the 99 who have already been found in the wilderness to care for themselves while he goes after the one who has lost at considerable risk. Sometimes I think that um, we're just happy to be left behind with the crowd to avoid the risk associated with actually heading out to seek and save one lost sheep because, hey, there's safety in numbers and we can just sort of hang out here and the problem is this. Jesus loves the sheep. Jesus came to see sheep saved. Jesus wants you and me to know how delighted he is and that all of heaven rejoices when the search is successful and one more sheep is found and makes his way back home. By proclaiming his joy when any are found, Jesus also proclaims how perverse the criticism of the scribes and Pharisees actually is. These religious leaders ought to be joining Jesus and all of heaven in the joy that some of the lost are being found. It's the only right attitude to have. But these scribes and Pharisees are not participating in the joy that some of the lost are being found. Rather, they're griping and complaining. They've missed the point. There's a second story in our reading a valuable coin has been lost. At that point, everything stops. No stone left unturned until the coin is found. Then rejoicing and the party. Then the neighbors are called in and it's time to salsa. It's a party. One commentator says that The early church fathers, when they interpreted this parable, are probably right because they interpret this second story to underscore to a greater degree the work of the Holy Spirit in diligently seeking all who are lost. It's not just that there's joy in heaven, but that the Spirit of God is diligently working to bring everyone to him. And that, again, reveals his attitude. It reveals his purpose. It reveals his mission. God himself is on mission to reclaim and to find all that has been lost. Both stories, though told in answer to the criticism of Jesus' inappropriate fellowship, are focused on the joy of finding something precious has been found. And the rescue of that which was lost is of primary importance. And if you think about it, this story of rescue, this story of recovery of what was lost, it's our story, isn't it? It's your story and my story. I mean, Paul describes himself as the sheep who was lost, like this. This is 1 Timothy 1.12. I am grateful to Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful and appointed me to his service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, a man of violence. This saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance, That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost sinner. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Those are Paul's words saying, we've heard this phrase we? I once was lost, but now am found was blind, but now I see. Every one of us belongs in the category of scoundrel when we are placed at the dinner table next to Jesus. I mean, the distance between who we are and who he is is so great that scoundrel is the only thing we can be called compared to the goodness of God. And so how dare any of us say well, you know, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. You know, at least I don't hold that political opinion. Or at least I don't support that agenda. Or at least I don't wear a turban. Or at least I'm not a drug dealer. Jesus came to save sinners. All of us humans. And if we are to follow him, it is out into the fields we must go to find some lost sheep. Some of us just pretend to be looking. Some of us look from the comfort of the crowd of 99 in the wilderness to a church that is often more concerned about its image or reputation Jesus says to every scoundrel, see, I am knocking on the door of your heart. If you can hear me knocking and will open the door, I will come in and we will have dinner together. You with me and I with you. And we will celebrate and we will have a party because one who was lost to the kingdom, has been found. When I was younger, when people in my church came to Christ, they had the little picture of Jesus standing at the heart of the door. And on the back of it, they would write your name and the date that you opened the door to invite Jesus in. That's all of our story, isn't it? Every one of us that we can remember the time when Jesus reached out to an unworthy person like us and said, come have dinner. Let's, Let's be together. Jesus isn't at the table just because he wants to save these people. He's at the table because he really loves them. He really loves all of us. And of course he wants to save us because he wants to put us on the right road so that he can live with us forever. That's the agenda. And if we're going to be his people, we must emulate the love of Christ for all the sheep there are. Because we want to be a part of that great banquet, that great party at the end of time where we celebrate all those who were lost and have been found and are now our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask Sue to come and help me and uh, I'd like us to sing a small little ditty we learned in Children's Church 247 years ago. But I've changed some words and we're not going to sing the chorus till the very end okay
1: sing this with me Jesus loves you this I know for the Bible tells me so little ones to him belong they are weak but loves you this I know as he loved so long ago taking children on his knee saying let them come to me Jesus loved you i mm-hmm. Wrong with
0: singing Jesus loves me. We need that assurance. We need that hope. We need that confidence to know that that is true. But far too often, the church has been completely absorbed with knowing that Jesus loves me and has forgotten that Jesus loves all of us, all of them, all of the people that He created. The reason the Church of the Nazarene exists, I mean, we don't need to exist except for one doctrine. Everything else you can find in other churches. There's only one doctrine, and it's this doctrine. We believe that we can surrender ourselves to God in such a way that the Holy Spirit can give us the necessary love to love anyone we believe that Christians can be so filled with the Holy Spirit that they can surrender themselves completely that their preoccupation with themselves can be dissolved and they can actually turn into people who can love the world no matter how despicable the world is that's why we exist to be God's loving hands and feet in this world We need to be true to our mission and to our calling, to invite the Spirit to help us break down the artificial divisions and walls we've created between us and others, and take the risk that Jesus takes, the risk to reputation, the risk of criticism, and put the love of God in action in our relationships. Can we hold Jesus loves me and Jesus loves you together? And trust that God really will rejoice at every single one who is found. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, forgive me and us for the times that we have created artificial divisions placed ourselves above others forgetting your love for all of your children help us Lord to see all those around us through your eyes invade us by your spirit put in us insert into our hearts the necessary love the love required to love those that we encounter in our lives Lord Don't permit us to sit with the scribes and Pharisees whose only words are words of criticism. Give us of your spirit, of your generosity, of your love, of your compassion, of your empathy, that lost ones may be found and that we may step into the party that you have planned when any are rescued. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Sing with
1: me. In my life, Lord, be glorified, be glorified. In my life, Lord, Be glorified today.
0: Would you stand to receive the benediction? And now may God the Holy Spirit so fill you with himself that you never find a sinner you don't love. To the glory of God, now and forever. Amen.